Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. Today, I'll be covering the murder of Nicole Rose Scott in Manatee County, Florida. Let's get right to it. On December 11, 2011, a man riding his motorcycle made a grisly discovery in a ditch east of the intersection of University Parkway and Bourneside Boulevard in a remote area of Manatee County. He had inadvertently stumbled upon the body of a partially clothed woman lying in the ditch. He called authorities immediately, and upon their arrival, it was obvious that this woman was the victim of a homicide. So the Manatee County Sheriff's Office got to work. Who was this woman and who had done this to her? They'd have the answer to the first question pretty quickly. But the second one? That was going to take some time. The woman was quickly identified as 29-year-old Nicole Rose Scott. According to the Herald Tribune, investigators used a handheld fingerprint scanner to make the ID. These handy little machines can make a match in just a minute or two. And it's super simple. Just scan the person's fingerprint, and if their prints are on file, their record pulls right up. I probably should have known that these bad boys existed, but I have to admit I didn't. And learning how effective they are, let's just say I'm super impressed. Anyhow, as it turned out, Nicole Scott had previously been arrested, so her prints were on file. Nicole Rose Scott, known by her friends and family as Nikki, was just 29 years old. She was a mother of three. Her life had been turbulent right from the start. Nikki was born November 25, 1982 in Atlanta, Georgia. When she was about a year old, her father was sent to prison. According to arrest records obtained by the Bradenton Herald, her father's stint in prison was due to theft charges. Nikki's mom wasn't in the picture from the beginning, and so when her father was locked up, she and her older brother Lonnie were placed in foster care and adopted by a family in Venice, Florida, when Nikki was just two. But just as Nikki's mother rejected her, so would her adopted family, and she and her brother were both given up yet again and returned to foster care. According to her brother Lonnie, as he spoke to the Bradenton Herald, both he and his sister were abused frequently while in the foster care system, and Nikki's abuse had gone beyond physical and emotional, and she had also been abused sexually. In 1999, Lonnie was placed in a juvenile detention center while 17-year-old Nikki remained in foster care. The most constant person in Nikki's life had been taken away, and she began a downward spiral into a life of drugs and prostitution. Nikki's whole life she had been abandoned, rejected, and suffered unimaginable abuse at the hands of those who were supposed to love and protect her. It's likely she turned to drugs to numb the pain. According to the American Journal on Addiction, victims of abuse and sexual trauma often self-medicate with drugs and or alcohol in order to cope with or block out the traumatic memories, deal with feelings of isolation and loneliness, 
improve feelings of self-worth and self-esteem, harm or punish themselves for the sexual abuse, and cope with mental problems, just to name a few. The statistics are startling. 75% of women who enter substance abuse treatment programs report having experienced sexual abuse. And that's just the reported cases. It's likely that number is much higher, one, due to how grossly underreported sexual abuse is, and two, those numbers come from women entering treatment. There are those who suffer in silence and never reach out for help with substance abuse or sexual trauma. It's impossible to know the exact percentage. But Nikki was struggling, and whether it was her addiction that led her to prostitution or prostitution that led her to drugs, the two often go hand in hand. But Nikki hadn't given up. She was fighting to get her life back on track. She had entered several rehabs and sought help. She wanted to be a mother to her children. She wanted to give them what no one ever gave her. She wanted to break the cycle. Even in the midst of her addiction, Nikki had never abandoned her three children. While she didn't have custody, she did stay in contact and did the best she could to maintain a strong relationship and let her babies know how much she loved them. Her two sons lived with their father in Tennessee, but Nikki visited when she could. In fact, according to the Bradenton Herald, she had just been to visit them and the year before she was murdered. Her daughter lived nearby and would come and stay the weekends with Nikki. Just two weeks prior to her murder, Nikki had stopped in to visit her friend Amy, who was working at a local BP gas station. Nikki would pop in from time to time to hang out with Amy while she was working her shift. Amy recounted to the Bradenton Herald how generous her friend was, saying that if a customer didn't have enough money to pay, Nikki would pitch in, stating, if she had $2 left in her pocket, she'd give it to them. As little as Nikki had, she still helped others. On this last visit in the weeks prior to her murder, Amy recalled that Nikki looked happy and that she told her she had a new house and a new job, and she wanted to turn her life around. But Nikki would never get the chance. After her body was found, it was immediately clear someone had stolen that chance from her. Investigators processed the scene, sent her body to the medical examiner's office for autopsy, and started to trace Nikki's movements in the days and hours leading up to her death. Her brother Lonnie reported to the Bradenton Herald that the last time he had spoke to Nikki was on Thursday, December 8th, just three days before her body had been found. And the pair had argued because according to Lonnie, Nikki had informed him that she was going to start escorting. This, of course, upset Lonnie. They argued and then hung up the phone. And while he had since attempted to reach his sister multiple times over the next days, those calls went unanswered. Investigators would hold many details of this case close to the vest, and there are still many details that have not been released publicly, but here's what we do know. According to police documents, at 10.27 a.m. on December 11, 2011, that motorcyclist pulled off the road and walked a short distance into the wooded area because he had to pee, and the area is really remote, not much around in the way of a public bathroom. As we know, he found Nicole's body and called 911. When officers arrived, they found Nikki partially nude with her pants and belt 
around her right ankle, a sock on her right foot, and a sock partially covering part of her left foot. A black shirt was wrapped around her neck. Three feet from her body, they recovered her shoes, purse, and bra. A folding knife was located in the ditch roughly two feet from her body. Nicole had been beaten and strangled to death. She had visible trauma to her face. Whoever was responsible had beat Nicole, strangled her to death, and then dumped her body like garbage and fled the scene. According to Law and Crime, an autopsy revealed that Nikki had been killed at another location and discarded in the wooded area approximately two days before she was found. And that's about it. There was a blip in the local newspaper about the discovery of Nikki's body in which police asked for anyone with information to come forward. And things went quiet for about a year, until the Manatee County Sheriff's Office made another public announcement. According to the Bradenton Herald, detectives were closing in on a suspect. And while they didn't release a name, they did disclose the suspect was male and from the Manatee, Sarasota area. And investigators believed he may have been a client of Nikki's. But they didn't have enough for an arrest and they needed the public's assistance. Detective Sergeant Pete Rampone spoke to the outlet stating, We retraced her steps. We checked dozens of hotels for evidence of her having been there. There is still a two or three day gap we can't account for. Every time we get a lead, we chase it to the end, he said. Detective Rampone also revealed that the sheriff's office strategically placed about 20 posters requesting information about Nikki's murder in the area where her body was found, and that almost all 20 had been ripped down. It seems someone didn't want anyone coming forward with information. And seemingly no one did. Time ticked on with no movement on Nikki's case. No arrest, no updates, nothing. But that would all change on September 29, 2021, at about 2.30 p.m., when a man walked into the Manatee County Sheriff's Office. Ten years after Nicole Rose Scott was brutally beaten and strangled, her case was about to be blown wide open. Nobody, and I mean nobody, saw this one coming. Surveillance footage obtained by Fox 13 captures the moment a white car pulls up in front of the sheriff's office. A man emerges from the back passenger seat carrying a drink in his hand. He gently closes the back door and the car pulls off. The man is dressed in a plain red short sleeve t-shirt, jeans, and sneakers, a white surgical mask over his face. He walked calmly into the front door of the sheriff's office, went inside, and just a few moments later came out with a uniformed officer. There is no audio, but in the clip, the two engage in a conversation. Several points during the video, the man in red shoulders noticeably slump forward. The officer grabs what appears to be a small notepad from his pocket and jots a few things down. The clip is just under a minute, and just watching with no context, you'd assume the two were just having a normal conversation, a pretty casual one at that. The man appeared to be maybe slightly distressed, but nothing to write home about. The officer seemed calm, as if the man was inquiring about a report or a traffic infraction. 
one would assume it was anything other than what it actually was. The man in red had just confessed to the brutal murder of 29-year-old mother of three, Nicole Rose Scott. 43-year-old Benjamin Wade Moulton had just waltzed into the sheriff's office and confessed to murdering Nikki back in 2011, almost 10 years prior. Deputy Randy Warren spoke to Fox 13 and revealed that Moulton had fully confessed to Nikki's murder and stated that he had found Jehovah and couldn't live with the guilt any longer. Moulton spoke at length with homicide detectives and disclosed that he murdered Nikki in a fit of rage, revealing details that only the killer would know. Details that the Manatee County Sheriff's Office aren't revealing at this time to protect the integrity of the investigation. Investigators and Nikki's family and friends finally had an answer to a question that had haunted them for nearly 10 years. And while the manner in which they received that answer was surprising, the name Benjamin Wade Moulton was no surprise at all. Nikki's family and friends had their suspicions about Moulton, and they had almost immediately. A post on the Nicole Rose Scott Memorial Facebook page dated February 25, 2012, read, quote, an article that appeared in the Sarasota Herald Tribune four days ago. Sounds familiar. The article shared was written by Dale White, and the headline, well, it certainly made my jaw drop to the floor. It read, prostitute claims Sarasota man tried to kill her. And while that headline could use a little, okay, a lot of work, because this woman who was attacked, as well as Nikki, were far more than just prostitutes. They were human beings, both of them mothers. Lord help me, I could go on a rant about that for days, but I'll spare you. Back to the post. Most of the article had been copied and pasted on that Facebook post, and the details were alarming. The article described the arrest of a man who had attacked an unidentified female sex worker. The unidentified woman was attacked early in December. She was nine months pregnant at the time. She had been choked, raped, and left for dead by a client. Thankfully, she survived but didn't report the crime right away. Instead, it was reported a few weeks later when she entered treatment for substance abuse. But to the best of her recollection, the attack occurred either the 1st or 2nd of December in 2011, just days before Nikki was found murdered. And who was her attacker? She later positively identified the man in a photo lineup as Benjamin Wade Moulton. He was arrested and being held at the Sarasota County Jail on charges of attempted murder, sexual battery, and aggravated battery on a pregnant woman. His bail was set at $540,000, and at the time of the post, he was still sitting in jail, according to the article. Whoever made that post on Nikki's memorial page was right. This sounded familiar. The details were strikingly similar to Nikki's murder. Only this woman thankfully managed to survive. According to the probable cause affidavit for Moulton's arrest in that incident, it all went down something like this. At around one in the morning on either December 1st or 2nd, 
the unidentified victim, who we'll be referring to from now on as Jill for clarity purposes, was standing outside the Flamingo Motel. Jill was nine months pregnant and desperately needed money for herself and her baby, who would be arriving any time now. An older model dark red car pulled into the parking lot. The driver signaled for her to come over. And let me just point out here that the Flamingo Inn has a bit of a reputation with locals, and not exactly a glowing one. It's known for prostitution, and I'd bet my last dollar that's exactly why Moulton was there. While researching this case, I headed straight over to get the history and backstory of this motel, which led me to the reviews. I know most of us check reviews when getting ready to book a hotel to see what kind of customer service a hotel is known for and if it's clean. But there's something else you can look for in reviews. Something that if you didn't know exactly what you were looking for, you might glance right over. But if you were looking to spend some time with a sex worker, you'd know that your chances were good for finding one there. And I found the perfect example in the reviews of the Flamingo Inn. And this one happens to be glaringly obvious. The username is sexually suggestive and the review reads, Beautiful and clean bedding. Plenty of soap and towels. Complete with a couple suggestive emojis. References to clean, beautiful, or gorgeous bedding. A hotel having plenty of towels or extra pillows can be a subtle way or not so subtle in this particular case of signaling to potential clients that sex workers are at the hotel or in the vicinity. I learned this while attending some training and assisting victims of human trafficking. And perhaps when it comes to the Flamingo Inn, we should take it from Google reviewer Marion, who wrote, quote, Flamingo? No, it was the Tarantula Arms. Nice shower, but kind of ghetto with one TV propped up against another. And whatever science experiment was growing in the nightstand was no Gideon Bible. End quote. Sorry, y'all, couldn't pass that one up. And maybe we should all take Marion's advice and stay the hell away. Back to the story. Jill, as we're referring to her, recalled to the officers that the older dark red colored car pulled into the parking lot of the Flamingo and signaled her to come over. She got into the car with the man for the sole purpose of exchanging sex for money. He asked her if they could go to a place that was dark and secluded. She didn't find this strange because of the act they were about to engage in, so she agreed. They drove to the parking lot of what she believed to be the Marriott Hotel and parked near some bushes. On the drive over, Moulton had rolled up all of the windows and locked the doors. They discussed payment, and Moulton informed her that he only had $250, but he would give her $150 of that, but she would have to do, quote, everything. Jill told him she wanted the cash up front. They discussed the payment arrangement for roughly 10 minutes going back and forth, each of them getting more and more agitated. According to Jill, he then turned around in the driver's seat, was sitting on his knees, facing the back of the car, checking his pockets for money. She recalled him saying something along the lines of, Where is it? Then, out of nowhere, he grabbed her neck and started choking her, so hard she couldn't even scream. 
the last thing she remembered was thinking about her unborn baby and how she didn't want to die like this. She lost consciousness. When she came to, she wasn't sure how much time had passed, but it was still dark outside. Most of her clothing was gone, with the exception of her undershirt, which was still on her body, and her socks that were lying on the ground next to her. Her face was swollen, her lips bleeding, and it was clear she had been raped. She ran to the nearest person she could find and had them drop her off at the Comfort Inn where someone she knew was staying. She wanted to come forward to police, but didn't because she had outstanding warrants and didn't want to give birth to her baby boy in jail where he would have been taken away by protective services. So she told every girl on the street who would listen and entered rehab just a few days later. Nikki's family and friends weren't the only ones with suspicions either. Investigators had also long suspected Moulton of Nikki's murder. In fact, in that last paragraph of the probable cause affidavit, it is revealed that Manatee County investigators had found Jill while investigating Nikki's homicide. And further, when Jill had given her account of what happened to her, the description of the subject, his vehicle, and mode of operation all matched with their suspect in Nikki Scott's murder. At some point, Moulton had been interviewed in connection with Nikki's death, but he had denied any involvement back then and there wasn't enough evidence to tie him to the crime. And y'all remember when police said they were closing in on a suspect just a year after Nikki's murder? Benjamin Wade Moulton was that suspect. And exactly who is Benjamin Wade Moulton? Well, let's just say diving into his past is like opening a can of worms, a supersized one. But those details will have to wait until next week. But I'll leave you with this. Chris Anderson of the Sarasota Herald Tribune said it best when he wrote, Introducing the Moultons, the worst family in America since Charles Manson saying even the Manson family couldn't multitask like this. They just killed people. That was about it. The Moltons gave sponge baths between their crimes. Sponge baths, you say? Yeah, sponge baths and brutal crimes spanning generations. Nicole Rose Scott was a beautiful 29-year-old mother of three. It's clear she had her struggles, but was on her way to writing her redemption story when her life was tragically cut short at the hands of a monster before she had the chance to make her comeback. Nikki was generous and kind, and she loved her children and her brother Lonnie. She had a dream catcher with her son's name tattooed on her right arm, a constant reminder of her love for her babies and motivation to get up and keep fighting every time life knocked her down. Her friend Amy told the Herald Tribune, she always told me that she wished to be the one to make them happy and give them the life that they had right now. It always broke her heart that she didn't give them that life. Addiction is a powerful thing, but it can get better and there is help available. If you or someone you know is struggling, you can call the National Helpline at 
662-HELP, which is 4357, or go to samhsa.gov. That's S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov. It's free, confidential, and available 24-7, 365 days a year in both English and Spanish. I also want to share, if you're listening and you have been the victim of a sexual assault but are afraid to report to the police, please don't suffer in silence. You can find help and guidance at a rape crisis center. Either Google the center closest to you, or if you're in the U.S., call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-HOPE or 4673. Warrants or legal issues can always be worked out. Please don't hesitate to reach out. You will be heard, believed, and helped. I'll link all these resources in the show notes. If you have any information about the murder of Nicole Rose Scott or information about Benjamin Wade Moulton, please call the Manatee County Crime Stoppers at 1-866-634-TIPS or 8477. As always, you can find more information about this case on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these. New episodes drop every Thursday. I'll be bringing you part two next week. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.